That's the last time we'll be hearing that intro for a long, long time. I know, very sad, very sad. It is good, good, good to be alive right about now. And we're giving some final thoughts on our study on Ecclesiastes. That's King Solomon's personal God-inspired journal. And uh, as we started out this series, there's basically been two movements. The first movement before Easter, starting in February. And uh, we looked at it this way. We said, so you're dead, now what? Living in light of the end. And our whole driving force at that time was trying to think where our end is and then backpedal. So we know what our end destination is, so then we start living to get most prepared for that place. So we talked a lot about that, and again, all this stuff's online. Um, Also, then we made a shift after Easter, Resurrection Sunday, the day we celebrate that Christ rose again after after dying on the cross, and we talked about living well under the sun, and again, that under the sun phrase is poetic that we see all the way through Ecclesiastes, and the idea is in this chapter of life on planet earth is under the sun. And all of us have uh, room to live this way, we live this life in a sense the way we want to. God never forces himself on us, but we want to live well under the sun. And we have been presenting that the idea for our alleluia is the fact that we can live well with the risen son, that Jesus gave his life for us so that we could have forgiveness. He rose again so that we could have this relationship with God, and uh, that's how we, we live. And so those of us who are Christ followers are trying to engage in that way. Uh, those of us who are skeptical are still trying to figure out if there's any relevancy to this, if it's true, God, all those kinds of things, but we've been working our way through that. And again, as I said earlier, uh, you can find all of the, these messages with the message guides filled in online. So today as we try to merge both thoughts together and we think about that, you can see the cross there, both uh, graphics kind of uh, merging together, we're really going to focus on this idea of now what? What do we do? do? How do we function? We've looked at Ecclesiastes, remember Solomon, rich, smart, lives a full life, we would say, but again, he wrestled with this fact that he really didn't live well under the sun, even though he had all these options, even though he had all of these benefits, and we talk about him leaning into things that were vanity or meaningless, and we've talked about that idea of vapor and the idea that if you and I see a cloud and it looks solid and we're flying in a plane and we're starting to make our descent, we see that cloud and we find that as the plane drops out of the sky onto the runway, it just goes right through that cloud like there's nothing there. It does not support the weight of the plane. Likewise, there are a lot of things in life, uh, whether we're a Christ follower or not, that we've discovered that when we put our weight on those things, they really don't support the weight of our lives. And that's meaningless, that's that's a vapor, uh, that's vanity, all those kinds of things that go along with that. Well, um, you know, this, this, this is kind of like a side note, but you'll, you'll see where we're going. At. This is probably one of, of, I'm getting close to have given 300 sermons at this church. 
So sorry for some of you who had to sit through 300 sermons, getting close to that over uh, six and a half years. But one of the thoughts that we had way back in the beginning is I want to share that with you, and you're going to see how those ideas, in a sense, uh, hopefully uh, tie together. So some of you may recall these ideas, but I really think it helps us to uh, figure out the now what. What do we do with our lives? What do we do with what we have? And, and how, how do we function? So uh, let me tell you this story that a few of you may be familiar with. After one meeting, I was in love with Andrea Bornegario. She sparkled. She was sweet. Andrea was striking. Straight blonde hair, blue eyes. When she talked, her body language, her eyes, her, her voice made me uh, just feel like I was the only one in the room. Uh, the way she said my name drew me in. She was attentive to my questions my ideas, and even my stories. I was in love. And I told my mother this as I walked into the house after the first day of school. Actually, it really was my first, first day of school because Mrs. Bonagrario was actually my kindergarten teacher. I loved school that first year, so much that on the last day as I sat on the bus sitting next to this wise old sage, he was a second grader, um, he started to explain to me that this would be the first and last time that I was sad that school was over. He said, you'll never wish that school continued on because first grade is a lot harder than kindergarten and it just gets worse. And to my surprise, he was absolutely right. From that moment on, right through graduate school, I was never, ever sad that school was over. But in that moment, I was. Now, again, why was that? Yes, kindergarten was easier. There's a lot of things like that. But the biggest reason was Mrs. Bornegrario. You see, Mrs. Bornegrario was a there-you-are person. Every day, I was greeted with a smile. The first weeks of anxiety of going to kindergarten, I mean, it's, it's, it's a little difficult. All that was dispelled by the way her voice directed me to do what was going on. Uh, she treated each one of us, us four and five years old, with, with respect. She made us glad we were there. When she seated us, she made us comfortable, relaxed, and ready to experience all the best that kindergarten had to offer. You see, she was a there-you-are person. A few years later, Mrs. Bonagrario uh, got sick. I didn't know what she had, but a couple years later, and she actually had cancer. And even though she wasn't my teacher, she still was a there-you-are person. Even on her worst days, when her beauty began to fade, she was a there-you-are person. And so here we are, probably 45-plus years later, and I still remember Andrea Borna Guerrero. You see, I have a warm spot in my heart. She, she touched my life. She was a there-you-are person. And there-you-are people have a tendency to do that. 
you can all probably think of a few there-you-are people that you hold on to dear to your heart. Now, when I was getting ready and we were interviewing and we were getting ready to come here, one of the things that really excited me about Seneca Community Church is I believed that they had a continuing heart to be a there-you-are church. You see, the other side of being a there-you-are, the flip side, is a here-I-am. And all of us have met people, all of us have met churches, all of us have met organizations that are here-I-am, not there-you-are. And so though at times, six and a half years ago, when I started to dialogue, and it was maybe more like seven years and have conversations, I really saw that there was a heart for this group of Christ followers who lived in Romulus, New York. I never knew where that was, never had heard of that place before. But I was willing to, Cindy and I were willing to pack up our family and move to the Finger Lakes because we got a glimpse that this was a place that was saying, there you are, to the community, to everyone. And actually, you can see these decorations up there. These aren't decorations for adults, per se. These are decorations for kids. And even this week, as the summer school has been hosted from Romulus, as those kids came in and started to see those decorations, they got the idea that this was made up of a church of people that were going to say, there you are, not here I am. Another part of our conversation was this idea that we wanted to be a part of a church that if it just disappeared, the community would actually miss it. You see, a there you are church, a there you are person gets missed when they're gone. We've all met here I am people, here I am churches, and when they're gone, they're not really missed too much. Huge, huge difference. Now, you may say that's an extrovert versus introvert kind of thing. Introverts are, you know, they just don't say much, but an extrovert needs to be careful that they say, here I am. But actually, introverts can be here I am people too. Introverts can sometimes stay in the shadows, kind of under the radar on purpose because they want people to notice that they're not engaged. So it's a subtle way of saying, here I am without being loud about it. You see, all of us have that tension. Are we here I am or there you are? A friend of mine, uh, he and his brother own a heating and plumbing company. Uh, they started off with one truck. Now they have 40 or 50 trucks. They uh, probably do close to $40 million worth of business a year. About 10 years ago, he told me the story that there was this moment when their customers started to become an interruption to their lives. They didn't like the late-night calls anymore. They, didn't, they wanted to do things on their terms. And there was this tipping point for them. Were they going to become a heating and plumbing country company that was a here I am or a there you are? 
And as they made the switch and really said, no, we are a there-you-are company, the company even grew more. You see, that's the tension of wherever we are, especially when we get older. Sometimes we think, wow, I'm owed this. Here I am. I paid my dues. Great to see this week in Summer Kids Zone program. People from all different age groups serving and not watching people that have, quote, unquote, paid their dues saying, you know, here I am. I'm not a there-you-are person anymore because now I've done all this. Again, that difference of being a here-I-am, there-you-are. And then those of us who are extroverts, we can, we can mask it. We can, we can almost look like we're a, a, a there-you-are person, but really it's still about ourselves. Sometimes I'm involved in services or whatever, and, and somebody gets up to share, and maybe they're, they're sharing about the goodness of God in their life, and all of a sudden, really quickly, I discover, and this may sound very judgmental, but I get this tone that it's not about there you are God or there you are people. It's really about here I am. You see, we all can play games with this subject. Uh, Jesus talks, tells us, uh, you'll, you'll be known as Christ followers by your love. And that love really is a there you are, not a here I am. Now, how does this fit in with what Solomon says? You think, I think when Solomon shakes out life and he examines life and he looks at life, he reminds us that we're answerable for life. And those of us who are Christ followers are answerable. Have we taken on the family business? of being a there-you-are person. And we're not going to be able to hide it. We're not going to be able to fake it because he knows. He sees through. He knows when I'm doing something, Dave Spencer's doing something because he's doing it in there-you-are mode or I'm doing it in here-I-am mode and I've got it so sophisticated and dressed up that people around me don't even know that's going on. See, he knows he knows. That's not to scare us, but that's to remind us he does know. At the end of Ecclesiastes, he says this, and that's it. Eventually, God will bring everything that we do out into the open and judge it, evaluate it, review it according to its hidden intent, whether good or evil. So the pressure is on for us as Christ followers to really ask, do we organize around this idea of there you are or here I am? Do we do that in our personal life? Do we do that in our work life? Do we do that in our church life? And God knows and for those of you who haven't decided to follow Christ yet, you get to watch this. You get to see this. So if you know a Christ follower semi-well, uh, you can even elbow them every once in a while and say, hey, was that a here I am statement or a there you are? What kind of action was that? You say you're a Christian. You say that Christ makes a difference in your life. So you try to make a difference, but I, I'm, not, I'm not buying it. That seemed a little bit here I am, not there you are. Jesus says it this way, if you want to look, on, look in one of the Bibles, in the 
the racks you'll find around you. The verses will also be up on the screen. If you're new to a Bible, the concept, please feel free to take that rack book as a gift from Seneca Community Church. We think it's important that you're in uh, God's Word and reading these things and evaluating this. Uh, so uh, Mark 8, 35, page 705, but uh, up on the screen, we're going to say this. We're going to see, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for the gospel will save it. And that's really the tension because most of us don't buy into this being a there you are person, not a here I am person. Uh, we have little ripples of it, but a lot of times when we look at our preferences, what we want, how we function, it's about us and what we like, not about what will connect with somebody else. You know, you're having somebody over for dinner sometime, and in this day and age, you ask them, is there anything you're allergic to? And the goal of that is to say, there you are, a person, I will not serve what you're allergic to. I won't do that. You see, because you're being a there you are person, not a here I am person. I can remember my father, uh, he said it was because he was uh, trying to expand my horizons, trying to make me eat things that I didn't want to eat. That's okay when you're a kid. But when you're an adult, you, you, you welcome people to your table and you don't kind of try to push your food agenda on somebody else. Because when you're doing that, you're saying, here I am, not there you are. And so when you start to really grapple with that thought, with that concept, it affects the way you do everything. Because you're trying to be hospitable. So it affects the way you do church. It affects the way uh, you do all kinds of things when you're thinking about that. And we do this for the gospel's sake. And the gospel, sometimes we throw this word out, and it's a very churchy word. Basically, it's the good news. Good news. For the good news will save it. And the idea is this, is the good news that God wants a relationship with all of us. He doesn't push himself on us. He will speak to our hearts. We can either block them out or say yes or say no. And then we have the option to say yes to him, begin a relationship with him in this chapter of life and see that continue on throughout eternity. And that's, that's the good news. That, that's the gospel. So when you and I think about being a here I am person versus being a, a there you are person, we, we do this for the good news. Because we want others to experience it. And what a way to build the credibility of the good news when you and I say no to what really are our preferences, if we're honest. You can dress it up, you can spiritualize it, but what really are our preferences, we say, no, I will go with what somebody else desires, somebody else wants, so that they realize that I'm a there-you-are person because I serve a there-you-are God. Again, what good would it do to get everything you want and lose the real you? And I like how that verse follows that because really, if you're a Christ follower, the real you is to be wired and to live the rhythm of a there-you-are person. 
And so when you and I are a Christ follower and we push back against that, it creates tension. It creates heartburn. And sometimes I've noticed that some people, no one here, of course, when, when they have that heartburn, when they're resisting to be a there-you-are person, it causes them to lash out on other things. It's like a smoke screen. Well, let's create a little issue over here. And yeah, that kind of looks like an issue, but the real issue is that I'm a here-I-am person, not a there-you-are person. And then it's internally making you, making me a little grumpy. I know when I do something I'm not supposed to do or don't do something that I'm supposed to do, the Spirit who lives within me, God coming alongside you, turns up the heat a little bit and makes me feel a little grumpy. Sometimes I found myself being a little irritated, and I go, why am I being irritated? It's because I'm, I'm involved in doing something I shouldn't do or not doing something I should do. I'm denying the real you, the real me, who's been made into a Christ follower. And so since I'm not following Christ, I'm resisting to it. It creates tension in my life, so I'm not being the real you, the real me. It's interesting, again, Jesus was a there-you-are person all the way to the cross. Blows my mind when I read John 19, 26 through 27. When Jesus saw his mother there, he's on the cross in incredible pain, and the disciple whom he loved, this is probably John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Up to the end, Jesus dying on the cross, giving his life, is thinking of his mom. Because he was a there-you-are person up to the end. You see, we follow a Christ who is a there-you-are person. It affected his life so much that he left the glories, the wonders of heaven to be born in a little manger, to become human, fully man, fully God. He limit all that God stuff, that deity stuff, so we would have the human experience because he is a there-you-are person. God. So likewise, if we're a Christ follower, which means we follow Christ, we adopt his rhythms of life, we integrate them, we, 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 we experience sanctification, which is the fancy word of integrating this Christ-following life into ours, then as the years go on, we should become more of a there-you-are person than I hear I am person. Paul writes it this way when he talks about Jesus. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Relationships with others, in connection, living in community, living bumping shoulders with other people, where to have the same mindset as Christ could say it a billion different ways, but one of Christ's mindsets was, there you are. He never was here I am. 
even when he had the opportunities to have it his way, his likes, he, he did not push himself. He was a there you are person. So how do we navigate this? How do we go, now what, of red Ecclesiastes, trying to live well in light of the risen sun, under the sun, living in light of the end and all that goes along with that, now what do I do? As a Christ follower, we ought to be growing as a there-you-are person. We ought to be more of a there-you-are person, not less. And yet our system, the American way, as you have more power, more control, as you go up the ladder, everything's about you and not the other people. It's, it's a total flip-flop. The more you and I have resources, abilities, uh, techniques, wisdom, we are to leverage that for others, not for just the goodness of ourselves. I've watched this unfold in people as they get into their 70s and 80s. Not very many do this, but I've watched it. And I've watched them leverage their lives. Instead of being about them, it's about there you are. They don't live for themselves. They live for the good news. They want others to be touched by the love of Jesus. And they keep growing as a there-you-are person. I don't like to, and I say this often, I don't like to lift my dad up on a pedestal, but watching my dad care for my mom, who's eight years younger than he is, and with that stroll, that uh, walker and all that kind of stuff, blows my mind. I tell Cindy sometimes, dad's being a good example, but he's, that, I'm not my dad. <laughs> I mean, he does everything. I'm like, wow, could you lower the bar a little bit? We're going to spend time with him, and he's going to, he clears the table, loads the dishwasher, helps cook the meals. All. I'm like, Dad, knock it off. That's not me. Grow as a there-you-are person. Thank you very much. Rather than the other way around. We may not like to hear this, but there are no excuses for not growing as a there-you-are person. If you claim to be a Christian. I mean, if you're not a Christian, you don't have to. Because I'm going to say you need God in your life to be this kind of person. You absolutely do. There are some people out there that may live in it. But, but to be fully engaged, at least in my life, I need God. I need God's prompting. I need God reminding me. You're not here for yourself. It's not here I am. It's, it's there you are. The first verse of Philippians 2, translated by Eugene Peterson, says it this way. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in community of the Spirit, Holy Spirit, God, means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then... Be a there-you-are person. And any of us who have said yes to Christ have got to say some of these ifs fit with our lives. There are no excuses. There are no excuses for not being a there-you-are 
person. And I want to say, when you're functioning as being a there-you-are person, as a Christian, you're in your sweet spot. You're a new creation in Christ, we would say. Born again, all those concepts. So if that's true, then there's a switch, a process where you grow as a there-you-are person. Another translation says it this way, your life in Christ makes you strong, and his love comforts you. You have fellowship with the Spirit, and you have kindness and compassion. Basically, what I see there is I see we have a few things in our toolbox, a few things in our tool belt, a few things that help us be a there-you-are person instead of a here-I-am person. First of all, you have strength. Christ makes you strong. One of the verses from first, I think it was First Peter this week in Kids Zone Summer Program says, God has given us everything for this life of godliness, of following Christ. So we have what we need. He's not calling us to be something. He's not equipped us to do or be. So we have strength. We have strength to be a there-you-are person. And it comes from Christ himself. We sang a song that talks about the power of, of Christ in our life. And it begins with having the strength to be a there-you-are person. I can think of some times where it was all Jesus' strength in my life when I rolled up my sleeves and was a there-you-are person. It had, it had nothing to do with Dave Spencer. And anyone who knows me well would say, yeah, that had nothing to do with Dave Spencer. You know, you know I, I can remember when the girls in the middle of the night were sick, stomach bug, you can just imagine, bunk beds everywhere, clean up the bed, get the stuff in the washing machine, and sick again. We just kept, you know, three sets of, I just, and it was like, you know, 2.30 in the morning, you know, uh, you know, believe it or not, what a mean father. I want to get mad at them for being sick because I keep making a mess. What's going on with me? That's Jesus' strength. That's, that was not Dave Spencer. And it was Cindy watching me. So, but, uh, but it was definitely God's strength. We have strength in Christ to be a there you are person. If we have strength in Christ to save us from our sins, establish a relationship with God, that's the big, big thing we ought to have. He ought to give us enough strength, or you and I have enough strength to navigate the waters of growing as a there you are person. We also have comfort, and his love comforts us. Sometimes it's really hard to be a there you are person, especially when sometimes we're being that person and we're actually getting resistance, we're getting pushback, we're getting, we're getting negativity, sometimes from the person we're trying to help. But his love comforts us. We lean into his arms. He gives us strength. I'm doing this for the sake of the good news which I personally have experienced for myself. And since I've experienced it for myself, I want others to experience. And, and I can take some knocks because your spirit, your love comforts me. It gives me, it renews me. 
Then there's also this idea of you have oneness. You have fellowship with the Spirit. This phrase is very hard to kind of get from the original to our English. Uh, this phrase, fellowship with the Spirit, can uh, be expressed in a number of ways. And I, I like some of these. Uh, first, you and Christ's Spirit talk together. Isn't that a beautiful thing? If you've said yes to Christ, God joins your life. The Holy Spirit is a part of your life, in your life. And your spirit and his spirit talk together. Sometimes that's sweet. Sometimes that's a kick in the pants. But it's nice that he talks with you. Also could be translated this way. You and Christ's spirit go hand in hand. Don't like to admit it, but sometimes I need the Holy Spirit. I need Christ holding my hand. Sometimes pulling me along, but I need his hand. Sometimes when I'm really feeling under the gun, even let's say when I mean I'm speaking on a Sunday morning, I don't feel comfortable or whatever. I kind of in my mind just imagine Christ standing next to me with his hand on my shoulder. Christ's spirit goes hand in hand. It's also this idea there's a oneness between you and Christ's spirit. And again, going back to what I said earlier, if you're a Christ follower and there's tension in your relationship with him and there isn't oneness, you're going to be miserable. You're going to be grumpy. You're going to try to self-medicate. You're going to look for other things to kind of fill that nasty feeling. Sometimes you're going to become judgmental. They're doing it wrong. They're doing it wrong. They're doing it wrong. They're doing it right. I'm doing it right. You're going to look like for something to, to kind of uh, be a smokescreen to the fact that you're not walking one with the Spirit. You're going to, you're going to pick on stuff that's really not important. Uh, you know, I, I have to watch it myself. When I'm not one with the Spirit and I feel cranky and I feel on edge, you know, looking for something to take the edge off. Joke before, sometimes that's a bowl of ice cream. For some of us, that's an extra drink. For some, that's an extra marital affair. Whatever that is, whatever that is, you want to take the edge off. There's oneness between you and Christ's spirit. So we can be a there-you-are person. Also, you have, you have love. You have kindness and compassion. You've experienced that. You've experienced Christ's love, and since you have that, you can grow. I can grow in being a there-you-are person. There's also this idea as we look at this that there is a song in your head and your heart. For some of us, the song is in our head, but not in our heart. Sometimes we've got it in our heart, but not in our head. But there's this idea that there's this, this song, this joyous melody. There's this, there's this song. I, I love that opening bumper, you know. I just, it just makes you feel good. There's about three or four top 40 kinds of songs out there in the last few years that just kind of make you feel happy. They make you feel like as far as I can go, is tapping my foot. That's about as much rhythm as I have. But some of you would dance around, but I tap my foot. But yeah, there's this, there's this song, and uh, we want it in our head and, and in our heart. 
I remember when the girls were young and they liked Hannah Montana. <laughs> you can be the one. I, I actually almost showed that clip to you, but I said, I can't take it. I just can't take it. You know, and, uh, you know, that was the song in their head and the heart. And, you know, you get that, you know, uh, and, you know, I tried to communicate to them because I, I do, not all, but I do like Frank Sinatra. I like, you know, Shoot Me to the Moon, you know, all those kinds of things. And, and I used to have those on my playlist, and we'd be zipping around, and they would complain about all the Frank Sinatra and all that stuff, uh, music. And, and what was funny is it was in their head because when those songs would come on, they would sing right along. They knew the words. They could sing them. They didn't like them. I kind of think they did, and they just didn't want to admit to it. But they didn't like them, and they, but they knew the words. And as a Christ follower, the melody of there you are, not here I am, is, is the song, it's the heartbeat of a Christ follower. The song is in your head. We might say it's in your soul. The question is, do you let it get into your heart? Is it in your heart? Is it actually the song that makes you tap your foot? Or do you just know it is? Are you a there-you-are person? You know, we've got missionaries all over the world. We, we hear about Bob Weston passing away this week, and, you know, he gave his life to be a there-you-are you, there person, and, and we know in our head that should be the heartbeat but is it in our heart? Are we, are we concerned about people across the sea, but not across the street? A lot of churches like ours love missions, love ministry partners. They'll pull the flag up and they'll say, yes, send missionaries, send money, abandon yourselves to that. But then when it's the neighbor across the street, we just ignore them. That's a song that's in our head, but not in our heart. That make my joy complete by being like-minded. That's that song. Having the same love, being one in spirit of one in mind. Having this head and heart working with you. Because we need to remember, it was shared with us. If you're a Christ follower, the only reason you're here is because someone shared that good news with you. Not once, not twice, probably a lot of times in a lot of different people, a lot of different angles, a lot of different files, and finally it clicked. Finally said, yes, it was shared with you. So how dare us not want to share that kind of attitude with somebody else? How can we partake of the goodness of God and not share it with somebody else. Unfathomable. Yet we all do it in our head, but not in our heart. But yet again, it plays in our heart because if we have the Holy Spirit living within us, that, that's his heartbeat. That, that's what he's, he's he, he wants us to let it play. He wants it to be the melody, the music, the thing with a rhythm we walk to, we live to. Being a there you are person. It also plays in the hearts of others. This is a good thing. That's why it's important to gather with another bunch of Christians, an assembly of Christ followers. That's what a church is. Because it plays in the hearts of others. And we can do more together than we can do apart. We can pull off a kids' own summer program. 
the countless hours that went into all kinds of behind the scenes, the decorations, the lesson planning, the food planning, the game planning. It goes on and on and on. One person, five people, 10 people, 20 people couldn't have pulled it off. It plays in the hearts of others. The reason a lot of those folks, those 40, 50 volunteers showed up was because it was playing in their heart. And they wanted to be a there you are. They wanted kids to arrive and go, wow, somebody loves me. Because look at all this stuff. This sends the message, somebody loves me. And it even worked with the kids going to summer school. They saw that. And four, either individuals or four families who weren't connected, came to summer kids' home program. Because they were here for school. They saw it. And they got caught up with, wow, somebody is saying they're here I am. There they are. And, they, and that captivated their hearts, captivated the family. And so then they came. Also, it sounds the best when harmoniously played. When I was in uh, elementary school, I played the trumpet, barely played it. And our, our, our music person was a master at getting each individual to play certain notes. And then when they all were played at the same time, and the same, it sounded fantastic. By yourself, it was not good. It was just like a couple notes. But he knew how to, to do that, and he put it all together, and if he played at the right time, and he had 10 trumpets, it sounded great. It sounded amazing. Sounds best when harmoniously played together. In the life of a church, being a, a there you are instead of a here I am, sounds fantastic when everyone's playing from the same sheet of music when everyone's rowing in the same direction. So the flip side, we can grow as a there-you-are person, but we all need to spend time and energy shrinking as a here-I-am person. We need to shrink back from that. At least in my life, it takes constant attention and work. The minute I think I've kind of gotten to that place where I've shrunk enough as here I am person, all of a sudden I discover there's another layer to this selfishness that Dave Spencer has, and he needs to start shrinking in a new area. Thank you very much, Jesus, for letting me know that, but I need to shrink in another area because none of us, none of us arrive in this chapter in life. So no matter how long we've been following Christ, no matter how much attention we've been giving it, no much energy, we still can grow, or in this case, shrink. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So part of that process is to redirect self-centeredness, to be self-aware, to know when you're being self-centered. Now, this doesn't mean becoming a doormat. This doesn't mean not enjoying nice things, but just asking yourself, am I being self-centered? Is this about me? Is this a here I am moment? Is this a here I am purchase? Is this a here I am attitude? Is this a here I am action, behavior? And if it is, redirect. See it, notice it, and try to 
purge it from your heart. The Holy Spirit who joins our life is more than willing to help identify these things for us if we want it. If we don't want it, he's not going to force himself on us. But when we do want it, I don't think you can go too long with saying, Lord, give me some places I need to work on so I'm more of a there-you-are person. He doesn't say, well, I think I'm all done with your life. You've got it all buttoned up. He doesn't say that. He says, well, I'm glad you, glad you actually asked me because here's an area you can work on. Here's an area we can work on together, and we can have the joy of moving through this and moving beyond this. goes along with that replacing vain conceit, that word vanity, vain, empty, empty stuff, stuff that just really doesn't matter. Oh, boy, when I think about Ecclesiastes, when I think about Solomon, I don't want to be building my life on empty stuff. So this is just this isn't just a painful thing. Wow, you got to replace this. This is actually a blessing. Lord, tell me where I'm investing my life where it doesn't matter. So I don't have to invest my life in that. So I can so I can stop that. So I can replace these items, these values, these things in life that really don't matter. Also the idea of regarding others. Regarding others. Do we deem others better than ourselves? You know, even when we're being a there-you-are person, we can have a little bit of a chip on our shoulder. We can have a little self-righteousness that says, man, if they, didn't get, if they would just get their act together a little better, like I got my act together, then I wouldn't have to be helping them. It's because I'm better than them. are, And that's, that's the reason I can actually help them, because I'm, you know, they're, they're, not, they're not that great. They're not with it. No, do you actually see the value of a person created in the image of God, even before they've said yes to Christ? Do you deem others better than yourself? At least for me, that, that's, I have to be on that. I have to be aware on that. I have to take my temperature on that because every once in a while, that insidiously starts to creep in. Also, desire the interests of others? Do you actually want the best for somebody else so uh, intensely that you give your life away? That you're a there-you-are person? You want someone else to be well-rounded, have a sense of well-being, and so you regard others. You, you see what's best for them, even when it, at first glance, might not seem it's best for you, and you offer that because you care about the interests of others. I remember one time, and, and this definitely was a God moment, I realized that Cindy and our lives basically revolved around my career. It was all about Dave Spencer. He's a pastor, you know, all this kind of stuff. You know, and, and one day it dawned on me, I said, Cindy, do you want to go back to school? Do you want to do something? Because I didn't want to limit her abilities, limit her doing what God had called her to do, to be all she could be, that I said, you know, and if going back to school, it's going to put us behind the eight ball financially, I, I, I want to do that. We would do that for me. Why wouldn't we do that for you? doesn't make sense. So deeming the interests of others, wherever that may be. Love way Eugene Peterson translates, paraphrases three and four. He says this, don't push your way to the front. 
Don't sweet talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. When was the last time you forgot yourself enough to lend a helping hand? So how do we live as a there-you-are person? Kind of already interwoven these thoughts, but back to verse 5. Out of the NIV 1984 edition says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Challenge you. Read through the first four books of the New Testament. We call them the Gospels. Read about how Jesus navigated through life. See what his attitude was. See how he interacted with people. And you'll learn how to live as a there-you-are person. Uh, some of us may be familiar with the story of Zacchaeus. Just let me read a little bit of it to you. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Woo! How did he get his wealth? Because he was a cheat. But anyway, that's another story. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was a short, short he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Jesus, there you are, person. No one wanted anybody, no one wanted him to take time with Zacchaeus. So Zacchaeus comes down well, once and welcomes him gladly. No one else would have given him the time of day that way. He was a traitor, and you can read up about how people felt about tax collectors back in, in Jesus' day. Here comes the kicker. All the people saw this and began to mutter. Unbelievable. You know, as our church grows and influence and, and connections with the community, uh, all of us coming through this door have walked with a limp, have our issues. Some of our issues are much more apparent or much more visible. Some of our uh, issues, just because we're very sophisticated at hiding the truth, have, we've hidden them deep down inside, and people see this and know us and all this kind of stuff. You know, are we the kind of person that mutters? You know, see, Jesus was a, a there-you-are person. He he. he that's not his style. They say, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, we don't know all the conversation goes on, but there's obviously a lot going on there. He says, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. What amazes me about that is that is an expression of a changed heart. If I had been working with Zacchaeus, I would have said, you know, the past is the past. God forgives you. Don't worry about that. Zacchaeus naturally wanted to say, my life has been changed. I now have open hands to all my stuff. Not to earn my way, not to earn the love of God, but to express that I've experienced it. And Jesus' response is this. Jesus said, today is salvation day in this home. 
For the Son of Man came to find and restore the lost. You see, he came to be a there-you-are person, to find and restore. Completely different than the people, the majority of the people of that day. So, as you think about your life, so I think about my life, am I really addressing the, the tension, the draw to be a here-I-am person, even if I'm an introvert or an extrovert, or am I fighting that and being a there-you-are person? You know, God has dropped Seneca Community Church in an unbelievable place to be a there-you-are church. I don't know if you saw this, but these are some recent statistics on the top 10 most post-Christian cities in America. And it's amazing that number six is Albany, thank you, Troy, and Rochester, six and eight. You know, we actually send missionaries, which we need to keep doing, ministry partners to places on our planet that are more aware of Christ than people in our own backyard. That should say something to us. You see, as individuals and as a church, we need to be known as there you are people, not here I am. So, the bottom line is this. God is so there you are that here you are. God is so there you are that here you are. If he hadn't been there you are, we wouldn't be here. As Christ followers, that passion, that now what with our life needs to just drip from our pores. Let's pray. Father, it takes our breath away to realize that you are a there-you-are God. Story after story, account after account in your word shows that over and over again. The way we see it materialize in people that are all in when it comes to following you. It's, un, it's, it's, just, it's just unbelievable. Father, help us to be a people as a church and as individuals that continues to grow in being a there-you-are place. May our preferences go out the window if it interferes with us being a there-you-are place. Help us to be honest about that. Where there's tension in our heart and we're playing games and we're trying to look like a spiritually, theologically well-rounded Christian, but there you are hasn't entered into our real lifestyle. Maybe deal with that. Speak to our hearts. And this morning it would be a shame if there's anyone here who has not said yes to you, that that they would have an opportunity to. So right now in the privacy of their seat and maybe they're aware of your presence and you speaking to their heart, we ask that they would say yes to you. They would see the need of a Savior, forgiveness. They would see the need of 
having someone come alongside them for this chapter of life and a God that loves them so dearly that they want to walk hand in hand into the next chapter of life. We thank you for that gift. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.